Friends, our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 2 through 15. Now listen to and hear the word of God for you and for me. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness lay a fine, flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Here ends our first scripture reading. Our second text is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 16. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. The landowner then said, you also go into the vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us 
who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When he turned 18, a young man decided to enter the monastery situated in the hills above his European village. The prior of the community interviewed him and confirmed that indeed this young man had a sincere call to join the monastic life. After he reviewed the rules, the the prior explained to the novice that every monk takes a vow of silence. However, once a year, on the anniversary date of your entrance into the monastery, once a year, you're allowed to speak two words to the prior. Well, after the novice's first year, the prior approached him and asked, do you have anything to say? The young monk said, food bad. A year passed, and the monk had another opportunity to speak to the prior. This time he said, bed hard. After the completion of his third year, the prior came to the monk and said, do you have anything to say this year? The monk replied, I quit. (laughs) The prior said, you know what? I'm not surprised you're quitting. All you've done is complain ever since you got here. You don't have to say this out loud, but, but when was the last time you complained about something? In the car on the way here? Maybe just as worship was starting, maybe you thought of a complaint that the bulletin was out of order. <laughs> when was the last time that you complained? Social scientists believe that the average human being complains 30 times a day, 30 times a day. Of course, if we were to consider any statistical analysis, there are some that bring the average down, and there are those that bring the average up. Those that bring the average up, I like to call them chronic complainers. This is the Seinfeld character, George Costanza. This is Miss Havisham from Dickens' Great Expectations. This is Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm. This is Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. It's Oscar the Grouch from Sesame Street, a chronic complainer. Someone who unprompted, habitually and persistently expresses dissatisfaction or grievances about various aspects of their life. They complain about others and they complain about the world around them. Chronic complainers tend to have this negative outlook and frequently voice their complaints to anyone who will listen, and I mean anyone. They focus on problems rather than solutions, and their complaints can actually become a dominant part of their communication style. What is more, medical professionals believe that constant complaining is actually bad for your health, chronic complainers. 
There's also a category of complainers that I like to call attention-seeking complainers. These folks seek attention or sympathy through their complaints, using them uh, to garner support or validation from other people. For example, your friend calls you on the phone and begins to tell you how awful their boss is. They begin to tell you about how incompetent their, their colleagues are and how the company they work for is some kind of show. And from a psychological perspective, the friend is looking for you to validate their frustration, to validate their feeling. They're looking to you to justify or substantiate their anger or their irritation. In addition to to chronic complainers and attention-seeking complainers, there are also excuse-making complainers. And this category is interesting. These are folks who use complaint to deflect their own culpability or responsibility in the very things they complain about. They use it to deflect responsibility or accountability concerning the things that they complain about. Think of this analogy from the world of sports. It's like when an athlete complains that they lost the match or they lost the game because of bad officiating. You've heard this before. We've lost because of bad umpiring, bad officiating. These same athletes, though, will will, will fail to address uh, their own shortcomings, their own performance, perhaps the mediocre performance of the team. They won't name the, the 15 other times outside of the one bad call the ref made, the 15 other instances where they didn't play up to par, up to standard. This not only happens, of course, on the athletic field, it happens in all sectors of life. It happens in the home, it happens in the office, it happens in school, and it happens in all sorts of relationships where we refuse or deflect our culpability, accountability, responsibility for our contributions in the very thing we complain about. Now, I think it's important to note that not all complaints should be viewed in a negative light. Not all complaints should be used in a, viewed rather in a negative light. There are solution-seeking complainers. There may not be that many of them, but they're out there trying to offer a solution through the complaint. They want to see something change. They want to see something fixed. They want to make something better. This type of complaint is is sort of what I would call results-oriented, and it carries with it a positive intent. Let me give you an example of this. A a few years ago, uh, a neighbor of ours in Ansley Park uh, called me here at the church. This person is is not a member of the congregation. They live right on Peachtree Circle, and their backyard backs up to the alleyway where our parking deck, a parcel across the street, sits. He called to complain about what was happening in the deck in the wee hours of the morning. There were some unsavory things going on. Keeping the sermon PG, so I'm going to hold those to myself. Even though he was offering a complaint, his approach was incredibly generative and friendly. He wanted what was best for the church. He wanted what was best for the neighborhood. And he wanted what was best for everybody who was parking in the deck and, oh, by the way, paying for it. I thanked him, expressed my gratitude, because we were able to address a situation that we had no idea about. His complaint opened the door for change, for a solution, 
to make something better. The two texts set before us today, both provided by the lectionary, have something to do at least in part with complaining. They both have something to do with complaining. The word complaint is common in our vocabulary. So is the word grumble and grumbling. And those are the two words that appear in both the Exodus text and the Matthew text. And while there are many, many lessons to be gleaned from these two passages, I'm really interested this morning in in one particular idea. I'm interested in the idea of how God responds to our complaining. I'm interested in how God responds to our complaining. So I want to start with Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 15. It's a story of what happens after God has liberated the people from bondage in Egypt. Uh, It recounts the story of God leading them through uh, the wilderness. So Israel has, has left Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea, but now they find themselves in a harsh desert context. And they are hungry. They don't have any food. And they begin, they're so hungry that they begin to say and complain to God that they'd rather go back to Egypt as slaves because at least they would know they had food there. That's how desperate they are in this moment. In response to the Israelites' complaints, it's so interesting to me that God does not condemn them. God does not condemn their complaints. Rather, God speaks to Moses and promises to provide them with food from heaven. God assures Moses that the Lord will raid down sustenance and that they will gather enough food, and this is important, to satisfy their daily need to satisfy their daily need. And that's exactly what happens, right? Quail begins to show up in the desert and then this fine, um, edible, flake-like substance that the Israelites call manna becomes their bread. And they have what they need for the day. And then they have what they need for the next day and the day after that. You see, God heard their complaint and God responded. The parable from Matthew, however, I don't know if you caught this, but it has a very different outcome for the complainers. Jesus begins a parable by introducing us to a landowner who we presumably represents God. And the landowner needs workers in his vineyard. He goes out early in the morning at 6 a.m., brings workers to his field. Then he goes out at 9 and noon and 3, and then again at 5 with just one hour left in the workday and brings them all to the vineyard. He agrees some He agrees to pay the first workers a denarius, which is equivalent to a daily wage, a daily wage for daily work. And he agrees with everyone else who comes in those subsequent hours to pay them whatever is right, whatever's right. When it comes time to pay the workers, at the end of the day, the landowner instructs the foreman to start with the workers who were hired last and pay them a daily wage. And so when those who are hired at the very first hour of the workday, you see, they assumed they would get more money than what was promised. However, to their surprise and chagrin, they received also a daily wage. And the text says that they grumbled and they complained to the landowner, feeling that it was unfair for those who worked only one hour to receive the same wage as those who worked the whole day. The landowner responded by explaining that he fulfilled his agreement with the first workers, 
that he would give them what they needed for that day, the daily wage. He then emphasized his right to do what he wished with what belongs to him. And it's so interesting to me, unlike the text from Exodus, the God of Jesus' parable, identified as the landowner, does not satisfy or solve the issue at the heart of the people's complaint. The landowner does not solve the issue at the heart of the people's complaint. In Exodus, God responds to the people's complaint with divine provision. In Matthew, God responds to the people's complaint with divine rebuke. So what gives? Why the two responses to these two different sets of complainers? Are we talking about two different gods? Or worse, is this one God capricious, unpredictable, unreliable, and erratic? Was God feeling generous in Exodus and not so much in the parable of Jesus from Matthew? Why did God respond to the request of one group of complainers and not the other? If you were here two weeks ago, you know that I, I preached uh, partly on the text from Ecclesiastes 3, which says that there is a time for everything under the providence and sovereignty of God. Many of you know this text, whether from your Sunday school days, your own personal Bible reading, or from all the songs that have been based on this particular text. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to laugh and a time to mourn. I want us to remember that there is a time for everything, which also suggests that there is a time to complain. There is a time to grumble, but there is also a time to refrain from complaining. There's also a time to refrain from grumbling. And these texts in Exodus and Matthew, I think when they're read in parallel, reveal this fundamental truth about when it's the right time to complain and when it's the right time to refrain from complaining. So go back to the context of Exodus 16, rather. The Israelites have been freed from Egypt. The people of God are wandering in the wilderness, and they're starving. They are in a harsh and brutal situation. Their situation was desperate. So they complain. They grumble against God. They tell the truth about their circumstances. They tell the truth about their deep need. They tell the truth about their hunger. And God not only hears their complaint, but God also provides a solution for them. That's what happens in Exodus 16. God hears the people's complaint and God provides. Now think about Matthew 20. The first workers complain that they didn't receive more than the one hour workers. They grumble that the workers who came after them received the daily wage. The landowner, however, already had given them what was promised. And most importantly, most importantly, he had given them what they needed. What they had needed, a daily wage. God in Matthew 20 did not acquiesce and give the workers more because they already had enough. They already had enough. And God rebuked them for complaining for what they had they believed was not sufficient. What they already were given they believed was not sufficient. And this leads us to the big idea of this sermon. And this is what I want to leave you with this morning. 
in our life with God, and I want you to hear this clearly, in our life with God, it is more than okay to complain to God in our deprivation. It is more than okay to grumble in the desert place. But it's not okay to complain in the places where God has already provided you with what you need. It's not okay to grumble against God for what God has already provided for what you need. There is a place for grumbling. There's a place for complaint. It's when someone else or, or even us is in the desert place, the wandering place, the far from home place, the I need you to intervene right now place. And that grumbling and complaint were promised is heard by God. And God provides in the desert place, friends. God provides on the wilderness road. God provides in the darkest hour. But let us also remember that God is nonplussed with our complaints about what God has already provided. The long and short of it is this. It's okay to grumble in deprivation and deep need, but it's not okay to grumble when we have enough, when we have what we need. And especially, especially when we take for granted the abundance that God has already poured out in our lives. So friends, grumble in desperation, but be grateful in abundance and be thankful in enough. Grumble in desperation, but be grateful in abundance and be thankful in enough. I want to leave you with some questions to think about for your own spiritual life, your walk with God, your friendship with Christ, the way you show up in the world. Questions that are born out of how this text might want to work on our heart, work on our mind. Where are you complaining? Where are you grumbling in places where God has already given you everything you need? Where are you complaining? Where are you grumbling in places where God has already given you everything you need? And in those places, will you be courageous and bold and disciplined to stop your complaining? To stop. Will you turn those grumbles into gratitude? Will you turn those complaints into calls of loudest praise and thanksgiving? Will you recognize that what God has already given you is good and is sufficient and is enough? What's more, will you be courageous and bold to grumble and complain to God in the true desert places of your life? Maybe you've been told not to complain to God, not to grumble to God, but there is, according to the scripture, a place for that, a time for that, a season for that, in the places of desperation, in the places of true need, in the far from home places, in the I need you right now places. Will you ask for forgiveness in the wilderness of sin? Will you ask for ethical strength in the wilderness of moral weakness? Will you ask for reconciliation in the wilderness of division? Will you ask for peace in the wilderness of harm? Will you ask for dignity in the wilderness of shame? Will you ask for discernment in the wilderness of confusion and, and misdirection? Will you ask for physical and spiritual and mental health 
in the wilderness of ailment and disease, will you ask God to be God in your darkest hour? The psalmist in the 55th iteration of that prayer book, verses 16 and 17 says this, but I call upon God and the Lord will save me evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and I cry out and God will hear my voice. Friends, in this very hour, know that God will hear your voice too. Amen.